This is Geek Gab with your host, John and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, May 12th, 2018. This is episode 140. Jordan Peterson and Jim Fear 138. Now, I have to apologize to you, the audience. It did not occur to me until well after I titled this episode. It did not occur to me that you may be thinking that I was promising that I would have Jordan Peterson on the show. That is not going to happen, at least today. And so if you were confused, if you felt you were drawn to this show under false pretenses, John completely apologizes for that mistake. <laughs> we are not going to have Jordan Peterson on the show today, but we will be talking about Jordan Peterson. So before look, we get to all that, that, guys, you made Jeffro sad. <laughs> before we get to all that, uh, John, how was your week? It's been a great week, guys. Wrapping stuff up at work, gaming, and uh, as we mentioned, went and saw Jordan Peterson earlier this week. It was interesting. And and how how is your uh, your OSR sort of trending fifth edition campaign going? I tell you what, we the for the first time in over two years, we had to end the session on a cliffhanger, as. As half of the uh, players in a seven-player game decided it would be a good idea on the way out to cause trouble in another room. And uh, and they are currently being hunted down by the strongest character in the module. It They're, is. The, the, so so after, after two and a half years of careful playing and, and very few character deaths, the, we have split the party... And they are fighting against a character twice as powerful as they are, uh, who they've just extremely angered. And they're out of spells. Uh, that, that sounds like trouble to me. Sounds like a TPK is what it sounds like. It's, it's, it, I had, when we ended, I said, you know what, guys, I'm just going to take a couple of months to think about what happens, because I don't think all of you make it out alive. Kursova, <laughs> um, um, the editor of Kursova, P. Alexander, uh, who we've attempted to have on the show twice and have not been able to um, because of technical difficulties, but we're hopefully going to be doing some stuff behind the scenes to change that. Um, P. Alexander was uh, posting details of his dungeon crawl campaign and his players basically picked the fight with a, a large group of very very tough enemies they didn't have to pick a fight with and because of that they've all been wiped out um just in, in succeeding sessions and so uh, it's been hilarious to read if you read his blog uh, i would recommend going back and reading that uh, and it's actually a pretty cool Blog. They're giant, intelligent spiders, some of whom are spellcasters. Um, it sounded like a, a pretty cool game. Are spiders not scary enough? Make them intelligent and give them spells. <laughs> he, he calls one of them uh, an arc mage, and I was just thinking that's just that's that just sounds bad to me. I don't know what that actually means in context of the campaign, but that sounds awful. Oh yes, it's a giant spider arc mage. Yeah, um, yeah but he, he failed to mention that spiders aren't that smart. He, they just memorize web a bunch of times. Uh, which is a devastatingly effective spell if you know how to deploy it correctly. <laughs> in in anything but fifth edition, anyway. Oh, uh, so I haven't, well, I, that's technically not true. I have played fifth edition, just not enough to actually know the rules. Um, yeah, web's, so. web, web's a good spell, but like most area effect spells in fifth edition, it is very good at slowing people down, but it doesn't end this combat. It doesn't end the fight like 
second edition or third edition does. And I've just been I've been looking into a little bit of fifth edition and it just like I took a look at the Goliath class for my podcast this week, which should be coming up sometime tonight or tomorrow. And it just seems fundamentally broken. Like the more I hear about fifth edition, the more I see from it. It's just like, y'all, there are so many missteps that y'all could have easily corrected with this thing. Oh, yeah. Like what? Uh, well, like there's no there's no downside for the Goliath. Like it's heavily implied that the Goliaths are are stupid. That they're kind of kind of on the lower side of the intelligence scale, but there's nothing actually in the rules that say, you know, you have to take a hit to your wisdom or your intelligence to play this class. You know, there's not even anything in there that bars them from using magic, even though they're obviously a combat-focused race. So it, there's just like no downside to it. It's pure like power trip kind of stuff. That's that's typical, I think, for fifth edition. Uh, someone I forget who who wrote it. Someone pointed out that 5th edition was actually a superheroes game, and once you look at it through that lens, it makes sense. That does make sense. It's it's the natural progression of advanced D&D, when it split off from basic D&D back in 1981. And it was just, this This is for people who like to play you know, fantasy superheroes. That's okay. You can have a lot of fun like that. But it's not the same game. Oh yeah, I was I was talking with my brother about it, and uh, we were like, "Yeah, no, this could be this could be a lot of fun if you were playing a joke campaign, you know, where it's just meant to be ridiculous, and you could have like a Goliath monk and a uh, a gnome fire mage and stuff like that. Just all these ridiculous, stupidly powerful classes that <clears throat> just kind of plow through everything, and you're just making jokes about it all. And but I, I think the real lesson here is that BX is superior. Yeah, I, I think when I'm finished with my current scenario here, which, uh, aside from being delayed by travel, is going to wrap up probably by the end of this year, uh, I think I'll, uh, the next game I start may be a BX game. Je- it's Jeff- a lot of fun. Jeffro in the chat, Jeffro's here for the D&D chat, he says 5th edition is D&D for the everybody gets a trophy generation. I don't I know, I... I, I, it makes sense, but I think it started. I think it started with my generation. I think it started it with AD and D. I mean, you can see the pedigree. So, how's your? Uh, you you were doing a podcast where you're doing an, an OSR game live with some with P. Alexander and some nerds. How's that going? Oh uh, no, Alexander wasn't wasn't in on it. I would love to game with the guy, but um, it was uh, actually James Bennett and not John Dacre, and then a few friends uh, of mine and a couple of friends of theirs. Um, and yeah, we're going. We're we. I screwed up so bad. <laughs> I'm playing uh, the Temple of Elemental Evil, um, with BX rules, so I have to keep adjusting the module and everything. It's still it's still ongoing. We've had some bumps, like James just completely disappearing and not dropping anybody a line on anything. But uh, um, I, I have all of the footage from all of that. So I just, I just need to upload it. I just haven't had time to upload it because I've had like audiobooks and, and stuff like that going on. So don't, don't worry. All of the sessions have been recorded, including the one where I monstrously screwed up with the uh, wandering monster tables and the challenge ratings and my understanding of how the, all of this kind of fits together and works. Uh, and we had to call the session early so that I could go in and replace all of the monsters in the dungeon. But no, all of the footage is <laughs> all of the footage is there. It's just, you know, I, I just have to upload it to like YouTube and BitChute and all that. Cool. So I don't know. Do we want to change topics? Do we want to continue on in this vein? I don't, doesn't matter to me. Jim fears more interesting than John, uh, than Peterson. <laughs> Maybe uh, talking to rather than talking about, but I don't know if I'm more interesting than he is. <laughs> but well, I'm doing whatever. Sw- it's it's up to y'all. If it, well, if you want to switch gears, uh, I can talk about Peterson. Okay, what how, you went and saw Jordan Peterson is currently doing a tour for his book the 12 uh rules for life or something like that yeah i think it's 12 rules for a living or something like that okay and i, I didn't i didn't get a copy in his publicity <laughs> tour he goes to a place does a couple of hours of lecture and then goes to a different town now you went and saw his lecture in, in a uh because you live on the west coast near a large town where he would likely visit whereas i do not um but you, yes you, Careful listeners, like, of the sh- 
Careful listeners of the show will know that uh, that I went and saw him in Seattle. Um, so how was the show? It was interesting. But let me let me do, I'll give you the full boring story. Uh, so I've never read his books, and apparently he's been doing very well on YouTube, doing quick videos and lectures. But I haven't seen any of those either. I was one of the many people who. Uh, who he sold a ticket to right after that hilarious interview with Kathy Newman in England. <laughs> you guys remember this? Yes. This, uh, this the, for, for the benefit of people who are listening uh, to this podcast, you need to go watch this video if you've never heard it. Uh, just search for Peterson, Kathy Newman. You'll watch the interview. And it's it's really interesting because – Peterson's been painted as as some horrible person, and 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 Kathy Newman spends half an hour interviewing this figment of her imagination, this horrible person, and and Peterson just has to, he's completely, uh, he's dumbfounded the whole time. He can't believe it's happening. He just sort of stands his ground and sort of continues to talk about the stuff that he's always been talking about, which is, um. Yeah, how to you know twelve reasons to you know or twelve rules for living, uh, and her responses make no sense at all. It's it's a hilarious hilarious video. I was like, okay, I want I want to hear this guy. Uh, I want to hear this guy do a, his book tour. So I I grabbed a ticket when it was available. I, I, what I loved most about that interview because it was just so hilarious is he'd say something pretty mild and pretty obvious to most people, and then she would say something. It, so what you're saying is, and then reply with a completely distorted, absolutely nonsensical statement. Like he would say something along the lines of, yeah, I think a, a Big Mac and fries are a good meal. I enjoy them. And then she would come back and say, so what you're saying is we should shoot all vegans in the face. Yeah, it was it was hilarious. It was like watching, you know how people like Vox Day like to talk about you don't talk to the mainstream media because they'll take you out of context and and they'll try to burn you by you know making it seem like you said something that you didn't say. And with articles and stuff like that, that's very easy to do because it's all like call and response. They have a transcript of what you were going to say, so they can just pull bits of it out. It was like watching somebody do that live during a conversation with somebody else. Just. Peterson would say something and then she would just mangle it, like put it through a meat grinder and it came out on the other end as just completely unrecognizable. <laughs> you could tell he was trying not to die laughing, just watching her try to twist herself into knots to make him say something that he absolutely wasn't saying. I, I will say this. The one thing I, I have to say to, and I think it was BBC four was the channel. Um, I think it was to their credit and to her credit too. She got a lot of, flack for this a lot of people making fun of her but to her credit they posted the full entire interview even though it made her look bad even though she was getting a lot of heat for it they were willing to post the full unedited interview so people could watch it on youtube and it's got like i think several million views right now uh, if i can find it i'll put a link to it in the description uh, of the video but instead of just forcing people to watch the highly edited version, which I've never seen the edited version that was broadcast. I've only seen the full, absolutely, uh, you know, knockout interview. But they did post the full thing online, and I think that was much to their credit. Yeah, that was pretty shocking. I didn't expect them to post the full interview. It's it's delightful. It, it's, it really is. They even made references uh, <clears throat> at the show. Now... Apparently, he's been traveling around with David Rubin, uh, who does a YouTube series called The Rubin Report. I didn't know this. Apparently, he's been doing the whole U.S. tour, and, and he's going out to the U.K. with him next week. Or this I, week, rather. I've got to say this, because um, I'm just doing a search on, on YouTube while you're talking. I'm, I'm multitasking here. But I found the uh, uh, Peterson Newman interview. It's had 9.5 million views. That's, for a 30-minute video. <laughs> that's like half a PewDiePie. That's awesome. And it's uh, it's been upvoted 255,000 times. Good God. That's crazy. But <clears throat> you can't say that they're not aware of, of 
that interview's effect on their sales and, and popularity and, and everything. Uh, throughout the night, they made uh, several <laughs> Kathy Newman jokes and uh, and uh, a couple of lobster jokes. Of course, uh, Yakov Yakov Merkin uh, says mentions lobster arch mag magi in the in the chat. <laughs> So it, it was. It wasn't just Peterson. It was Peterson and Ruben that you saw. <clears throat> yeah, Ru- Ruben opened the show and warmed up the crowd. Uh, he was just there for a few minutes to introduce Jordan Peterson, uh, and his opening was a little. Well, I mean, if you've ever seen David Ruben, you know what the opening was like. It was very. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made. He, he he opened up with a Kathy Newman joke, talking about how great this. Uh, how, how great the whole intellectual dark web movement, which is a weird thing that popped up uh, on the internet last couple of days, how he and Peterson and a bunch of other people are part of uh, part of uh, the whole. I lost my train of thought. It's <laughs> it's 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 a little strange. They, these guys swear that they're the vanguard of of the counterculture because, of course, uh, I'm a, I'm a cynical sob. I think that's where they're gonna. They think they're gonna make their money. Uh, which is fine. I've got nothing against that. But uh, it was sort of a get the crowd going. He he did sort of tell a couple of jokes, and then uh, <clears throat> introduced Jordan Peterson, who then, and and this is where it gets interesting. So Jordan Peterson comes out and uh, and he's got a very uh, high pitched Canadian voice, and he come and he and he comes out and he explains, hey, this isn't going to be a normal lecture and and this isn't going to be a pre-scripted thing i'm going to talk about some of the rules in my book the 12 rules for living and uh and we'll go into detail and 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 we'll we're going to wander a little bit and we're going to have a try a conversation so i i just lean back and i said okay let's do that and then he says we're going to start with rule seven which is do what is meaningful not what is expedient which sounds like you know that's a nice pithy rule. And he rambled for the next 90 minutes. He just he just kept going. <laughs> and and uh, it was it was fascinating because it was it was just like he said it wasn't <clears throat> excuse me it wasn't particularly well structured. Uh, and he sort of made points along the way but he just I'm just going to fill this 90 minutes with with all the other thoughts that that got edited out of the book. So, what was it like? I would say that I'm someone who hasn't watched his videos or read his books. So this was sort of I was just letting myself get introduced to the guy and his ideas. And I he opened up with a little bit of philosophy which I thought was very weak. He was talking about what what is true and what isn't true. What is real? What is real? What is reality? What isn't? Um, and he seemed really confused on that topic. He couldn't make a, a clear case or argument from that. Yeah, he, he had that problem the first time he went on Sam Harris's podcast where that just, it, it got bogged down for like two and a half hours into, you know, their different definitions of what reality actually is. And they got absolutely nowhere. The second, the second time he appeared was better. Um, they actually got past that, but it, it was hard to listen to that first one. Would you recommend the <laughs> listening to the second one? I would recommend listening to both of them because the first one kind of gives you an idea of how Jordan Peterson, I guess, conceptualizes reality. And it's been so long since I've listened to it and really honestly bothered with Jordan Peterson for a while. But um, it, remembering it, it was definitely worth listening to, even if it is really difficult to sit through, um, because it kind of lets you know where Sam Harrison and Jordan Peterson are coming from about this different thing. And, and they they butt up against the fundamental breakdown that they have over and over and over again, but they just can't seem to get past it in that first one. The second one is much better so far as conversation goes. Okay. <clears throat> well, the, the, I'm not surprised because he, I, I would definitely listen to him talk about psychology and psychology research and things like that, but he, he is not a philosopher, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, well... Sounds like a, I don't know. It sounds like it might have been in, uh, informative, but not all that interesting. Maybe <laughs> was it, it was, was it, it worth was, the ticket price? Uh, I tell you what, 
I think so. It, it's it's tough to justify. I think the tickets were running something like $60, $65, which is actually pretty expensive. You could have got all of that for free out of his lectures or... or His YouTube channel or YouTube channel. just buying his book or something. Um, yeah, just buying his book would, would have been sufficient. So <clears throat> in terms of information content, no. Uh, it was interesting to hear the man speak. It was, it was an, an interesting... Uh, it was an interesting lecture when he actually got into the the point of the chapter, which was trying to define what what are the things that do give life meaning and how do you do those things as opposed to uh, things that don't help with meaning. That was really interesting, and, and I think he showed a little insight born from his own research and his own personal struggles. Uh, you can You can tell that he's one of those guys that, got into psychology because he's got some serious problems to work through. And uh, he, he did specifically, he told a story about his, uh, uh, his and his family's struggles with depression uh, over time. So, uh, Well, in, in my experience, most people who get into psychology in college are doing it because they have something about themselves that they want to understand. Like every psychology major that I ever met while I was in college was – you know, there was obviously something not quite right upstairs that they were trying to work out and they were hoping that, you know, learning psychology would be able to, to help them get over their problems. And some people, for some people it did, you know, so it's not, it's not an entirely flawed method of going about fixing your problems. It's just probably one of the more expensive ones. <laughs> um, by the way, his uh, YouTube channel um, has now has 1.1 million subscribers. So, I wonder what his audience retention is like. I have no Sorry, idea. I'm getting into statistics and sociology and shit like that. My bad. I, I do think in Jordan Peterson, people who are looking at Jordan Peterson to offer them a comprehensive philosophy of life are going to be disappointed. I don't, I think he has a lot of interesting insights about life in general, but I don't think that his philosophy of life is, is something you want to base your whole life on. But I think that the concrete advice he gives in the book, especially with understanding what the world is really like, is very, very helpful. Like he tells people straight out, um, life is hard. You're going to suffer a lot. And the only thing that gets you through it is that you have some higher um, sense of meaning that you are building your life around, that you are pushing towards. And that's what gives meaning to all the times when you are suffering is that this suffering isn't just pointless. It isn't just uh, nonsensical. It's because I am working towards something and I just have to get through this. Um, and I think the message that life is not about pursuing happiness, but it's about pursuing meaning, even if it's difficult. I think that is critically important. And the extent to which he spreads that message and the extent to which people listen to it and incorporate that and understand that and believe that, I think is invaluable um, to Western civilization. So people who have problems with him because they disagree with one thing or another he says or that he doesn't agree with their entire view of the world are missing the boat when they say that he's damaging. I said just that one point, and that's not the only good point he makes, but just that one point is enough to uh, to justify his pursuing his uh, particular, you know, lectures and discussions and things like that. Um, and he gives a lot of small advice that is nonetheless um, very, very key. If you actually go out and try to apply it, you'll find out how, uh, how life-altering it can be. For example, tells, you know, tells people to, before you go out and start trying to save the world, Start with organizing your life. Start with organizing your room, cleaning yeah, your room. Yeah, the, the clean your room thing. Um, honestly, I thought not not to cut you off, but I think that's what really actually draws people into Jordan Peterson, so that he can get into the deeper meaning stuff. Is that <clears throat> Jordan Peterson is a life coach? Okay, I'm just going to come out and say it. Jordan Peterson is a life coach. He's a ridiculously good life coach, and I'm not knocking life coaches or anything. What the the service that he is performing is a necessary one in this day and age, and that's unfortunate, but he does it well. But the reason that people get attracted to Jordan Peterson, I think, is because they haven't had somebody in their life to teach them 
you know, how to take care of themselves, how to organize the small things in their life. So then they get into situations like college where they have all of this stuff to, you know, to keep on, you know, to juggle basically all uh, exams, papers, classes, all of that stuff. And then they freak out. That's why you see a lot of college students who, you know, are, are talking about how little sleep they get and, and how stressed out they are. But then Jordan Peterson comes along and he's like, okay, start small, clean your room, get a haircut, take a shower, you know, organize your bookshelf, you know, organize your desktop or whatever the fiddly little advice that he gives is. And then these people hear this and they're like, that's something that I can get a handle on. Yeah. You know, I, I can clean my room. Anybody can clean their room. So it might not be special, but, you know, nobody in their lives has ever said something like that to them before. And it's always been, you know, you have to fundamentally reshape your values and your, your sense of self and all of that stuff. And Jordan Peterson's like, no, you take it small, you take it in manageable chunks. And then the manageable chunks build up into this great overarching change in who you are as a person. And then they're more open after they get a handle on getting their life together, then they're more open to searches for deeper meaning in life. And, and, and that goes, well, that goes to actually one of the most interesting things you said at the lecture was that it's people like to say it's the big things that you do in life that are, are important. You know, your, your big victories and losses and your vacations and things like that. And it's not, it's the, the things that you do every day that matter. Um, the message, the fundamental philosophy behind organize your room is to take responsibility for your life. Don't allow yourself to be a victim. And in this culture where people are competing to be the biggest victims and they're gaining social, you know, status and prominence for making themselves to be the biggest victim they can, the message that what you really need to do to have a productive, satisfying life is to take responsibility for that. Again, I think that's absolutely invaluable. And, you know, quite a lot of people need to hear that message and believe that message and incorporate it. So I'm, I'm not saying that I agree with everything Jordan Peterson says, but I think that fundamentally speaking, he's a positive force uh, in the lives of people who listen to advice, his advice and take his advice. So um, I, I would agree with that. I, I think that's on the nose. Um, all right. Well, uh, for those of you who haven't noticed, <laughs> we have a guest with us today. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Jim Fear 138, um, late of creepy pasta uh, voice recordings, um, and now a uh, audiobook star, and also appearing uh, publishing stories on Steam and appearing in a couple of upcoming uh, major books and magazines. Jim Fear, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I, I always love talking to you. Um, so why don't you tell people, uh, what, what's coming out? Uh, well, the two big ones right now are, um, on June 1st, I've got a story coming out in, uh, Kirsova magazine and it's going to be one of the novellas, which I didn't, <laughs> I didn't think that the story was that long, but I'm not, you know, the one putting the magazine together. Um, and, uh, it, it's just, it's wild to me to, you know, have found this magazine, like, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago. And it instantly jumped up to my favorite magazine because I've been listening to podcasts from other magazines like Nightmare and um, what's the other one? Uh, I, I don't know. There was a bunch of stuff that I used to listen to that were actual magazines that published podcasts. <clears throat> and now this one, I read one issue of this magazine. It immediately jumped to my favorite magazine. And now like a year and a half, two years later, I'm being published by them. So that's just a weird feeling all around. And then um, I'm not, I don't remember the exact date that this one's coming out. It's probably up on the Superversive Press website, uh, but they're putting out their planetary anthologies and I'm going to have a story in the Earth anthology. Now, um, the planetary anthologies are kind of, kind of interesting. They're taking each planet as a representation of something. So Mars, for example, is the representation of war. So everything that is in the Mars anthology has to do with war. Maybe war on Mars, maybe war on Earth, maybe whatever. Um, Venus is, you know, the representation of beautiful woman of love. So all the things going into that volume needed to revolve around that theme. So Earth, what the heck is the theme there? 
well, so far as I remember, when I was talking with uh, Don Witzke, who's doing the editing for it, um, she said that the main theme was kind of uh, heroic action and adventure, which is like right up my alley. You know, if you go and read my stories that I've got published on my Steam, which are free to read, anybody can just, you know, go to the website. You don't even have to have an account. Um, action, action and adventure and heroes are like, that's my bread and butter right there. Those are my favorite type of stories to read. Those are my favorite type of stories to write. Um, so when she invited me to submit a story to this thing, I was like, okay, yeah, I, I can definitely do that. So is this premise going to be okay? She was like, yeah, yeah, go for it. So yeah, I, I banged out the story and I touched it up and got a couple of people to look at it and send it over and it's going in the book. <laughs> awesome. Um, do you want to give us a little teaser or is that? Um, I, I suppose I, I don't suppose there's any harm in that. Um, it's one of those older style. Cause I, like in these circles, we read a lot of old, you know, literature and in, in genre fiction and stuff like that. And when I wrote that story, I had just read uh, the lost world by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And I had watched a bunch of movie, you know, uh, adaptations, I guess is the word, you know, loose adaptations for it, uh, where they've dressed up like iguanas and had them fight <laughs> and stuff like that. Just, you know, all these, all these tricks where the people are really small and stuff. But, um, I had, I had done that and I really, really wanted to write a story that was kind of one of those lost world style stories, but I wanted to mix in a little bit of HP Lovecraft. Cause I'd also reread, um, at the mountains of madness. So I figured, all right, explorers in Antarctica, they found this, um, kind of oasis, this time capsule, this, uh, like the, like the savage world from Marvel comics or, um, the savage land. That was it. Uh, and there's dinosaurs running around and there's like maybe some, what might be alien creatures. And the two main characters have to escape from this place because everybody who's, you know, gone in there with them has now been killed by all of the wildlife. Um, so now they have to escape and the whole story is basically following them, uh, escaping from captivity and then, you know, getting out. All right. Um, now you've been publishing on Steemit, publishing short stories on Steemit. Uh, in fact, almost like a serial, you're publishing a piece of the story, uh, every day or every couple of days. How's that been? Uh, it's been pretty good. Steemit is one of those... Uh, okay, for those of you who don't know what Steemit is, it's a uh, blogging platform with an internal cryptocurrency. And yeah. the cryptocurrency, from what I understand, is generated... I'm not an expert, so I, I might be open to correction here. But from what I understand, it's it's generated by people posting on the website. So they have uh, Steam Power, which gives you upvotes and uh, the ability to use upvotes and things like that excuse me, and Steam Dollars, which is something that you can actually convert into a more widely accepted cryptocurrency and then convert that into fiat currency. So you can actually get paid for your writing if you publish it on Steemit. Um, the problem with Steemit is that it's kind of hard to get started. And once you're, you know, un unless you bring a huge following over to Steemit, you're not going to be making a whole lot off of your posts. Um, so I'm to the point right now where I average probably about 40 steam cents, uh, or so per post. Um, but occasionally, uh, someone with a whole lot of upvote power who, uh, is a curator who they will upvote something and it goes into everybody else's feed and like the 40 people that follow them for their curation, uh, give this person the power to use their upvote. So they'll come along and they'll upvote your story and you'll get like, you know, a hundred steam dollars for it. Um, but those are those are extraordinarily rare. There are also uh, awards like the Curie, where uh, it's a it's a curation award, and if you if you get curied, then you know you get a much larger reward for this for this particular post. Uh, but those are like I said, those are kind of rare. So Steemit is one of those platforms where if you're going to get into publishing like short stories and stuff on it, you have to keep plugging away. Um, you you really have to keep working at it. Now what I can say is that you know over the past couple of weeks as I've been publishing about a story a week, uh, I have been getting more followers. Like just about every time I post a part of a story or a blog post or something, I'll get one to four more followers. So, you know, it's, it's not difficult to build a following. It's just, it requires um, determination, I guess. You just have to keep at it. <clears throat> but uh, 
I'm more I'm more concentrated on just getting the stuff out there, to be honest, because I don't have the money right now to hire artists to do book covers for me. Um, so putting my stuff out on Cement gives people an easy to access way to read my stories and decide whether or not they want to go buy something like the Darkest of Dreams anthology on Amazon from Dimension Bucket Media. Wink, shame, shameless plug, shill, shill. Uh, <clears throat> and it also gives a way for people to give feedback on the stories because I'm no, I know I'm not a great writer. You know, I venerate Robert E. Howard and people like that, and I read their stories and I try to get better by taking tips from what I can gather from reading their stories. But I, I know that I'm nowhere near as good as Robert E. Howard or H.P. Lovecraft. So getting feedback on the stories and what I should be doing and small technical slips and, you know, the occasional grammar and punctuation error and stuff like that is more what I'm over there for than the, uh, the magical internet funny money. Although I'm not going to sit here and say that the magical internet funny money isn't nice. Have you managed to convert some of it back to real money? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's not that difficult. It's just kind of time consuming um, because you have to basically make a Coinbase account um, or a similar website like Coinbase, where it's like an, an internet cryptocurrency bank. Uh, and then Steemit has an internal system that will allow you to sell your Steam dollars for Bitcoins. And then with Coinbase, you can sell your Bitcoins and transfer it into your bank account. And it's actual real money that you can go and like buy pizza with. That sounds pretty good. Are you working on other uh, revenue streams like Patreon or anything like that? I've been trying to, but I'm worried that I would get deplatformed off of Patreon. And then Patreon is having some severe problems that I'm not even sure uh, what their deal is. But I did see recently on Twitter they were talking with Braving Ruin. Um, and they mentioned that they're trying to get the website back up. It's just taking, it's just taking them some time. Um, it would be nice if they would have emailed, you know, the people who actually use the site and let us know. Uh, but apparently they're trying to get that solved. And then there's maker support, which um, is basically Patreon with fewer terms of service. Uh, but recently Stripe stopped uh, processing their payments. So and they didn't inform people that that was happening for like a week or something like that. Um so it's really hard to generate other other revenue streams, but the audiobook thing is coming along uh, pretty nicely. I, I'm I just got done with the uh, first novel in the Glimmervale Chronicles, um, and that should be coming out here in the next week or so. He's got all of the files; he's submitted them to Amazon. We're just waiting for them to process everything at this point. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I've, I I think you've got a cool voice. I like to. I should check out one of your books sometime. <laughs> they're they're all up at the uh, uh at the blogspot so just jimfair138.blogspot.com there's a store page uh they should all be up there if i remember yeah. right i might have one that i forgot to add in there somewhere but i what you just talked about though um how do we how do people ensure they have a revenue stream that's independent of um cuz the largest markets where it's easiest to get stuff um, are the ones that seem to be most vulnerable to pressure. It's peculiar. Uh, well, actually, Turd Flinging Monkey, who I, I know it's a, it's a funny name, but he recently released a video on this called, I want to say it was Everything Gate, um, where he talked about how he talked about the problems with sites like Patreon and Maker Support and how the issue is that you're going to have to create an entire other everything but a government to be able to process this. So book publishers, uh, audiobook publishers, payment systems, hosting platforms, blogging platforms, all of that stuff is going to have to be created, but it's not going to stay the way that you made it. So even something like Gab, um, which is a uh, ex pretty explicitly right-wing social media platform, they welcome everybody, but their, their um, administration is pretty explicitly right-wing. Even something like that in, I don't know, 20, 30 years maybe, is going to be infected by the people that we call SJWs. And eventually they're going to start doing what YouTube and Twitter are doing right now and deplatforming people and things like that. So it's just this constant, um, what did he term it as? Uh, the clubhouse syndrome. It's just constant clubhouse syndrome. So this group of people will build a clubhouse and it will be really cool, something like Gab. And then somebody else will say, I want in on that. And they will want to come in and play in the clubhouse. And then they'll 
okay, we have to let you in because the government, the parents, quote unquote, are telling us that we have to let you into the clubhouse. And then the people that just got let into the clubhouse will wreck the clubhouse. And then the people who built the clubhouse will go and build something else. And then those people will just follow them because they're incapable of building anything on their own. They're, they're leeches, they're destroyers. Uh, so really it's all about what you can do in the short term, meaning finding another payment system or another web hosting platform uh, like Cloudflare recently got in trouble for uh, deplatforming the Daily Stormer. Um, and now people are actually suing Cloudf Cloudflare because they allow like torrenting websites and piracy websites and stuff on their, on their, si on their system. So now they're not a neutral platform anymore. They're open to lawsuits. <clears throat> so you have to find a, a system like that that will actually be neutral and then prepare redundancies for when the inevitable happens and they are no longer neutral. And it's just this constant race to stay one step ahead of the game. Sounds like a brave new world. <laughs> the new the new internet is going to be a lot of fun. Welcome welcome to the cyberpunk dystopia without all the cool aesthetics. I just, um, for people who are dependent on Amazon for their income, um, and, and we've been fortunate so far that Amazon has not, at least to my knowledge, uh, engaged in author uh, censorship. Their biggest boo-boos seem to be in how they handle their reviews. Um, but if, if Amazon comes to this at some point, and I'm assuming they will, where do people go? What do people do? Um, well, I'm no <laughs> cast. We shadow run now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're shadow run without all the cool stuff. Um, so far as Amazon goes, I know that there are other publishing websites that will allow you to put your stuff up. Like if you're doing, um, RPG systems, there's sites like RPG now, uh, and drive through RPG, but the companies that own those, I think that Paizo owns them. I'm not really sure. The drive-through uh, drive ones are, are run by Steve White from, formerly of White Wolf, and and they're they're not quite converged, but they're SJW amenable. Yeah, that's that's the issue. Is that you know all of these sites may not be totally converged, but they're amenable. Uh, so with book publishing specifically, you have sites like I think Gumroad will allow you to publish. Um, on their website, they just take, uh, if I remember right, I might, I might have this wrong. I think that the percentage that they take is a little bit egregious. Um, and then there's other sites, like I know that Kirsova publishes via Lulu. Uh, so it's just a matter of finding these websites and then not inundating them so fast that their systems crash. Because that was one of the problems with seelion.com, uh, uh, I think, or c.lion or whatever it was. It was uh, back when Gab was first becoming a thing, somebody else made a competing Twitter replacement that went by the name of Seelion. Yes. Uh, and a lot of people moved over to that really quickly. And it just crashed their system and they never recovered from it. So you don't want to inundate them so fast that they're not able to handle all of the traffic, but you do want to watch them and be prepared so that you have that redundancy on backup just in case Amazon comes to you and says, you're no longer allowed to publish on our platform. Wow, that was a long bit of silence. I'm just, I don't know. Worrying about something that you can't control is isn't productive but preparing for the future and, and trying to set up an alternate uh source uh in case a platform gets taken away from you I mean, if your entire income is dependent upon amazon then you have to jump to amazon's tune you have to censor what they say to censor or whatever and so you need to set up alternate means of financing um alternate revenue streams just to protect yourself in case something like this happens. I mean, that's just advice, uh, and it's generic advice. It's high-level advice. The real problem, and and I like that advice. It's good advice to give. I'm glad I'm giving it, uh, and people should listen to the advice. The difficult part with listening to that advice, even for me, and this is what I keep on trying to think about or, or trying to work through as I think about it, is where do you go and what do you do to set up alternate means of um, keeping revenue running. Uh, and somebody in the chat 
says rough code in the chat says the problem to overcome is convenience any alternative effort needs to work with kindle and similar with minimal effort for custom for the customers i mean ultimately speaking the most robust uh solution is to set up a store on your own site where people can come to buy your stuff but then you've got the problem of traffic nobody is going to come or very few people are going to come and buy your stuff if they're used to getting it through amazon and so you have to just build and build and build your own platform, not necessarily because it's giving you great returns right now, but just in case, just there's, in case in the future, you have to use it. There's also the problem with uh, anti-fragility. So if I were to set up a store, first off, my website is not anti-fragile at all. I run on a blog spot. So Google could just look at me and say, you're gone tomorrow. Um, furthermore, if I was going to set up uh, a shop because they have like widgets and things that will allow you to do that, or you could get a, uh, I know that there are, I can't remember the name of any off the top of my head, but I know that there are services online that will allow you to integrate a shop into your website. Um, so you also have to take their terms of service into account. And then you have to take into term into account the terms of service of the payment processing company. And then you have to take into account, uh, banks and credit card companies and things like that. For for instance, uh, Bank of America recently stopped uh, doing business with uh, firearms dealers. So if you have a Bank of America account, you're not able to take your Bank of America card and go to a firearms dealer and buy a gun because Bank of America won't deal with them anymore. So, you know, there's all of this stuff and the, the easiest thing to do is just decentralize. It's not easy. It's just the best solution is to decentralize everything, uh, look into cryptocurrency. So because it's not controlled like fiat currency is, um, at least not to the insane degree. Some of them are a lot of cryptos and ICOs are scams. But uh, with something like Bitcoin, there's a decentralization there and there are caps in place so that it doesn't go completely insane. Um, and then get people who actually have the money to do so and have an interest in it, create these other services. So we would need some some uh, entrepreneurial venture capitalists out there who have just money lying around to create a Stripe-like payment processing service that you know people who are getting deplatformed could use. We would need people to create uh, maker support style uh, websites so that people could put their stuff out there and then say, if you want to you know, um, if you want to support me, then this is how you can do it. You can go to this website and drop some shekels in the hat. And then this website uses this payment processing system by this, you know, firmly neutral company that is not going to deplatform people because of their politics. And then, you know, the same thing with the store, you would have to have a store that is firmly neutral and is not going to deplatform you just because you published X. You know, right now we've got a very good thing going on with Amazon where they'll publish just about anything. It has to be pretty egregious to get Amazon to not publish it. Um, but that could change. That could change tomorrow. That could change in the next five years. So, you know, much like Gab and Mines, we would need somebody to go out there and create these platforms and then create all of the services that these platforms rely on on the back end. So it's basically like creating an entire new internet from what I've been told. It's, it's not pretty. <laughs> it's, it's not pretty and it's not, it's not going to be easy. And I wish I could help out more uh, with, with that kind of stuff, but I'm just not in the position to. So I'm, I'm kind of still at the mercy of sites like Steemit and Google and Amazon. I think uh, the opportunities are there. The people going after those opportunities don't seem to have the don't seem to have the skills or the competence to pull it off gab uh, gab was a cool idea and it just turned into a echo chamber right away uh, I, I don't know anybody who still uses it do you still use it uh yeah i still use it i've got something like 450 followers over there and you know i put out uh, links to my stories and my blog posts and stuff. I'm, I'm still on Twitter because most of my friends are still on Twitter. Um, but if they, if they all moved over, yeah, from the social point of view, if they all moved over to Gab, then I would probably move over to Gab too, because I wouldn't have anybody to talk to on Twitter anymore. And half the fun of Twitter is talking with your friends. So 
Yeah, that's that, that's it. The 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 huge problem with social media platforms. Not everything that needs to be replaced is a monopoly like that, but Twitter and Facebook are the platforms right now. And mm-hmm. I, I suppose uh, I suppose Snapchat or not Snapchat, Instagram and uh, and Pinterest are are getting big too. But uh, but what what kind of imbecile comes up with a new you know a, a response to Patreon? And calls it Hatreon. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what, what kind of branding is that? Uh, so so stupid. Yeah, they could have uh, they they could have named their website a little bit better. I mean, like, hey, it's just like Patreon, but with Nazis. That's great. That's that's exactly what I want my new company <laughs> and, to be based on. And I'm just saying, like, I don't I don't have any respect for Andrew Anglin or the Daily Stormer. I think that they should be allowed to do their thing because they're fun to laugh at. Um, like the Daily Stormer has been the butt end of jokes on the internet since they were a thing. Um, but it did not help Patreon's look that one of their featured creators was Andrew Anglin. Like, I'm just yeah. saying, I'm not saying that you have to deplatform the guy and not let him onto your website at all. I'm just saying that putting him on the front page might not have been the best idea. <laughs> Yeah, the, uh, Bar One Studios, Daily Stormer, or SJW is the best game. Yeah, wait, uh, there was a lot of fun with a game, uh, with that game on Tumblr back in the day. <laughs> um, oh, I, I, my problem is I have a lot of thoughts. Um, primarily, my thoughts are make as much money as you can while you can. And spend it wisely, conserve it where possible, and then um, build an infrastructure for a rainy day. So that even if you're only getting one or two sales a month on your um, you know, e-purchase site on your own website where you're selling Kindle copies or uh, Mobi copies, .mobi, the file format that can be read by Kindle, um, .mobi copies of your books, even if you're only getting one or two sales a month, and even if you have to sink a little bit of money up front to get that, that's still an investment in the future. Because in the future, if you have to get the majority of your sales through that, it's there. You're familiar with it. You've used it. You're ready to go. Um, set up your uh, um, set up a mailing list with your readers. Publicize it in the back of your books. Get people to sign on to your mailing list, and that way you can still sell directly to the people who will buy if you get pushed off some other platform. I'm not saying these are perfect solutions, but I don't think there is a perfect solution. You just have to prepare for, you just have to be ready, be aware of what may come down the line. Now it may not. I'm not saying you should spend a lot of time worrying about it, but identify concrete steps that you can take to prepare for it and implement those concrete steps. Now, JD uh, Cowan said something, um, uh, really good in the chat. He says that the diversity in comics situation shows how crazy uh, people are becoming. Um, And diversity in comics, well-known YouTube channel that has had a huge impact on the comics industry, pushing back on a bunch of creators and uh, editors and gatekeepers who tried to make comics into a social justice only enclave, a social justice only club. And in the process of devastated sales of Marvel, devastated sales from uh, other companies like Image, and in general, wreaked a hell of a lot of havoc on the comic book industry to where sales were down 10% last year, comic sales are down 10% again this year, 50, 50 comic book stores folded last year. They went out of business because they cannot withstand this absolute devastation of Marvel's comic books. And this in a decade that has seen 19 blockbuster movies from Marvel uh, Entertainment, movies that would normally drive people to buy the comics. Right? And they do. And they do. That's, that's something that's very important to bring up. Those movies do drive people to buy the comics. You hear comic book, uh, pros and and comic shop owners all the time on Twitter and various other websites talking about how they will have kids drag their families into comic book stores 
because they saw Iron Man or they saw Captain America and they go to buy a, a Captain America comic and Captain America is a Nazi now? What? Or, or Iron Man is a 16-year-old black girl? It's not Tony Stark? It's not who they saw in the movie theaters. So Marvel, I think, is actively trying to kill off their comic books division by allowing them to do whatever the hell they want. Uh, because I don't think that the comic books are that profitable for them anymore. They're certainly not as profitable as the movies. I mean, uh, what, Infinity War was the number one movie in the world last week or something? So the comic books just can't just can't stack up. But they, if they wanted to, they could absolutely just do a hard reset on the universe, start over, get good writers and actually produce comic books that people want to read and have, you know, these kids come out of the movie theater and go into the comic shop and see the characters that they saw on screen in the movie theater on the comic books and then get them reading and you've got them hooked for life. But no. They, they don't want to do that. They want to let this stuff kill their comics division. So if they want to kill their comics division, then that's more than okay with me. But just don't take the rest of the industry down with you. So in an industry with plunging sales, with uh, stores going out of business, uh, diversity in comics shows what's going on, reveals what's going on. And a lot of people who are invested in the po politics of the comic industry as it is right now uh, get very, very upset. So he arranges to produce a book that's not a political book, that's an adventure book with original characters, gets big name talent to draw and ink uh, and color it, and then doing what they've said for the last year, which is, oh yeah, if you think you're so awesome, why don't you publish your own book and see how it goes? Um, publishes his own book, gets set up and announces the publisher yesterday. It's a publisher called Antarctic Press. And then Mark Wade, who's a big name in the industry, and many, many other uh, members of this clique of uh, leftist social justice warrior types, they launch a massive and probably illegal um, attempt to not just boycott the book, Jawbreakers, but also drive Antarctic Press out of business. So uh, a month ago, Diversity in Comics set up an Indiegogo campaign. He's got over $200,000. I think and, it hit, uh, I saw John Malin on Twitter earlier talking about how it hit 255 k And they've got um, you know, almost or over 5,000 backers, which makes it the number three best-selling graphic novel in America Number three, best-selling graphic novel in America for this month, uh, for April. Um, and they tried to destroy a business that was agreeing to carry it in stores. The business uh, pulled out of it, and in return, uh, Diversity in Comics does uh, announces last night, not even, you know, just a couple of hours after Antarctic Press goes out of business, announces his own comic book publishing company called Splato Delgato Comics that will be publishing Jawbreakers and other books in the future. And so in response to the these people trying to destroy him, trying to destroy his business, trying to destroy his life and his livelihood, and in response to these same people trying to destroy Antarctic Press and that owner's life and livelihood, he goes and creates his own platform. Now, he's going to have an uphill battle in getting it uh, up and flourishing. A lot of businesses fail because of lack of capital outlay to support them during their initial audience building phase. But um, he's got a huge audience who's been willing to spend over $200,000 on Jawbreaker so far, and he's opening up the same uh, Indiegogo, once you finish your campaign, you can have it go up and become an ongoing store to where uh, people can buy that. It's not like Kickstarter, where once it's over, it's over. On Indiegogo, you can continue to buy that book uh, indefinitely as long as they leave it up. It becomes an online store. So he's using Indiegogo as a store now, and he's adding in uh, T-shirts and maybe a patch and some other things. He announced it last night. So in response to be attempts to drive him out of business, he has set up his own platform because that's the only way he can ensure that he is not as vulnerable to, um, to those other people. Now, I think one thing that might 
work for a lot of people and, and is what is behind diversity and comic success is that he has a presence across multiple sites. So if one of them takes him down, he can roll over into something else. Um, and so that is also a piece of advice is if you're going to maintain a presence through which to sell your merchandise, whatever it may be, maintain a presence on multiple sites so that if one is uh, shuts down or one kicks you off, you can roll over to the next thing. Um, it also helps, uh, and this is especially noticeable in specific cases, it also helps not to actually be what the SJWs occur, uh, accuse you of being. Um, and so because he's not racist and so on and so forth, they've had a difficult time assembling proof to get him, for example, kicked off of uh, Twitter permanently or kicked off of YouTube permanently because there is no evidence to support their contentions. So that's also some helpful advice. Don't actually be a neo-Nazi. Things are going to go much easier for you. Those of you who may hear this show, and I assume that there is not an audience overlap there because I've never seen any evidence of it, but those of you who listen to this show who aren't actually neo-Nazis, stop. It's repugnant. It's repulsive. It's going to lead you down a bad path in life. Go read Jordan Peterson instead of Adolf Hitler. I'm just suggesting that. As some life advice, if I could for a moment, step into the role as your life coach. Go read Jordan Peterson. Don't read Adolf Hitler when you're looking for advice. And then, having straightened your life out, having gotten that part of yourself more in tune with morality and existence, then go on and start trying to make an impact on the world. Sort um, yourselves out, buckos. Yeah, just just some advice, some friendly <laughs> advice. I have actually seen this happen. Literally seeing someone who was a neo-Nazi change their life around, and it's very uh, impressive to see. It's very heartening to see someone change their life around. And so I'm just recommending that to you. If that is, If that happens to be where you are in life, Go forth and Nazi no more. That's all I'm saying, all right? We are, am I going to get, well, we don't make any money off of YouTube, so it doesn't matter. We're in trouble. People are going to complain about that segment. I don't care. Um, we are out of time for today. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any last thoughts? Um, well, so far as last thoughts, I think uh, that, the, the important thing to do is to look into other avenues, uh, specifically for, for authors, look into other avenues to publish your books, like have everything on Amazon and, you know, use that site for as long as they'll let you. But look into other avenues. And if there's anybody out there who hears this that is able to set up another avenue, try and do it. And there are people out there who will, will help promote it. Um, also, don't forget to go and buy the new Kirsova and look forward to the Earth Anthology from Superversive Press. And uh, show my steam it one more time. You can go over there and read some cool action-adventure stories. But by, by the way, uh, just in case you're wondering, folks, I have a link to Jim Fear's steam it in the description of the video. Um, and apparently YouTube has fixed... Uh, there, there was a bug a few months ago uh, when uh, Ben Chia came on the show to talk about steam it. There was a bug that they would not be able to correctly link to steam it usernames because there's an app in the URL and that confused YouTube a lot. It tried to make it into a Twitter link. It, it, it assumed that if you had an ad that you were on Twitter, not on some other site. They have fixed that bug, so you can click on that link, go directly to his Steemit page and read his stories and stuff. Um, I have a link to the Newman-Peterson interview in the description of the video. I also have a link to 12 Rules for Life in, uh, in the description of the video. And again, I would like to add a 13th Rule for Life. Um, don't ever Nazi. That's just my advice I would encourage you to take it. John, do you have any last words before we go? Well, I just wanted to say that uh, thank you for coming on the show, James Tiberius Fear. <laughs> no, thank it's you guys good. for having me. Always good to have you. Thanks for the great conversation and the conversation with the folks live in chat. It's always a pleasure speaking with you all. Um, thanks for tuning in, folks. This is 
uh, GeekGab on YouTube.com slash GeekGab. You can also get us on the Google Play Store. You can also get us on the iTunes Store. And you can also find us on SoundCloud.com. Just do a search for GeekGab. You can subscribe to us there and, and listen to this show, this amazing and awesome show, on any platform you have access to, on Android and on Apple platforms and on just the web or any MP3 player. If you're interested in the live chat, because we had a very lively live chat, as we typically do, you can come and watch this particular show directly on YouTube, and you will uh, be able to see all the comments that went on during the show. We discussed uh, several things in the comments, uh, and it is always very interesting. So thanks for tuning in, folks. We are leaving you for today. We are signing off. We'll be gone for probably about a week. Um, but don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.